Sasha DeWitt, and this is the Studio Notes Podcast, the show where I chat with artists about the real-life stuff of being an artist. Hi, and welcome to Studio Notes with me, Sasha DeWitt, and today's guest, Katie Solahab. On your website, you describe yourself as someone who documents and records the places you live and the people you meet. So I'd like to know, where did it all start? How did you begin your journey as a creative? So let me think about that. I have, it's one of those questions when people say, when did you start being an artist? And I think, well, I always was. Mm. So I don't think I have an epiphany moment of that's when I started. But when I was a young, young child, I drew I drew everything that fascinated me. So I did the horses thing, um, but also what I remember is drawing wildflowers. I'd pick wildflowers and draw flowers. So that was perhaps the beginning moment of me recording things of my everyday life. And yeah, that's quite a nice memory there, um, recording the things around me. And then as I grew older, I remember just loving still life, just drawing things that I could see in front of me. So I did do art at school. I was did art through A-level. I was challenged at A-level, really interesting teachers, stretching me out of observation, getting us to run around and smash things up and all sorts of things, really exciting A-level I did. And then, then I dropped out of art college. So there was something about the, the enormous freedom that art college could have given me or would was giving me. I mean, in a way it was eighties, I think it was too much freedom. There was no structure. Everyone was just down the pub. That's how I, <laughs> how I experienced it. And um, that wasn't for me. So in the end, I went back to anthropology. Did you want everything by the way? Yes, yeah, no, cause this, this is, is really fascinating. Story. Absolutely. I can shorten it, but I, so I, I went to do, I went to do psychology. So I went from art college to psychology to anthropology in the space of about a year or 18 months. And when I found anthropology, I thought, ah, this is what I was looking for. So I think what my brain needed was um, something beyond the act of creativity. The, you know, I've got to make something or I've been set a project or I've got to do a painting because that wasn't, it didn't mean anything. And anthropology was like, I knew the world didn't have to think or everyone thought the same way. And here I am studying cultures where time is different, where uh, the relationship to the land is different, where even the way people are named is different. Those are the significant things. Like if somebody doesn't even have a name or their name is attached to what they do, that's a very different thing to our kind of identity of like, oh, I'm, this is me. So I was fascinated by the way different cultures think and different, therefore different people think. And also to some extent that's, that allowed me to think about the role of the artist. I didn't, I, I did, yeah, I did do an, uh, an essay on shamanic, can't remember the title, but it's about shamanism, the role of the artist in Western culture and shamanism in other cultures. So I had a kind of yearning for that deeper connection of like, well, what what are we artists for? Um, So so when I finished my degree, I had one of those, that's probably is my epiphany moment when I had to decide I got a, I was unemployed for quite a long time. And I had a job offer in care work, which I knew I could do. I'd done some before, but my friends, I remember said, don't do it. You'll never get out. So it was a job in care work, an MA in anthropology in London or a part-time foundation in Worthing. And I chose the part-time foundation. And as soon as I did that, I knew there was no turning back. So that was me kind of finding the right time for me to do my art practice and dedicate my time to it. Um, And I think by then I felt like a mature student, all of 24 probably. And I could focus on the project 
or you know focus on the on on personal development I was more confident but you know focus on my own personal development and and exploring my creative practice rather than pleasing the teacher or what am I supposed to be doing now that I am a teacher I can see it in other students when when they come to a class and and they're more worried about what I the teacher am thinking and my job as the teacher is to get them to think no you know what is it you want to do and I think at 18 I didn't have that confidence to to find what is it that really fascinates me um, regardless of what the teachers wanted so yeah that was my turning point and then it was always still in fact yeah it was at foundation my my tutors told me still life is boring and so I thought right sod you I'm gonna do still life till it's done to death so I spent a year and a half just doing objects and putting objects in boxes putting objects on the wall making sculptures of objects drawing objects painting objects and absolutely loved it putting objects in matchboxes or making objects to fit in matchboxes so it was always about the object in the space and it seemed like quite a natural progression from there to go into the interior space of a room because if you're drawing an object on the table to me, it was always connected to the room. If we did life drawing, it was always connected to the room. Why are we drawing a naked person? It's always connected mm -hmm. to the room. So I guess, again, that comes back to that anthropology. It's always connected to a bigger picture. So I would draw, I started drawing still life around, just around my house, objects, stories started coming into my work. And, um, and actually, oh, off the page altogether, I, by the time I was doing H&D, which I did after my foundation, had little breaks in between, I was coming off the page altogether, onto the walls, into performance, mm. and sometimes slightly obsessively recording things. I like dates of things, I like to do things in certain orders, and once because I think once I start something there's the thing that keeps me going is that momentum and that structure otherwise it's too big and enormous so if one of my constant little notes to myself will be something like I want to paint everything and I and it's just too big mm. so um, a room is a contained start for that a matchbox is even better um, yeah so that's how I began that process of documenting and recording and I still think although that the statement that you read out was probably written quite a long time ago and every time I think oh do I need to update it but I think no it is for me it is about recording it's recording my existence and my passage through life so it might be still life it might be interiors and then I became known as you know I paint or draw and paint in historic houses and I kind of thought that might be it. That's my niche and that's what I will do. And it's really interesting to find that that was, that was really to do with the stories and the people and the connections that I made. And as I moved from place to place around that subject, the connections weren't as strong and the whole project sort of faded out. And, and I questioned what was going on. And I think it was down to the people, which was interesting. The paintings and drawings had no people in them, but the connection, the project had to have people and warmth and communication and, and fascination and history and stories. Otherwise it was just a commission mm. and, and pleasing somebody else. So, so those faded out naturally. Um, but there's still, that's still one of my, my loves is if I go to a place or, yeah, I still have that urge. I want to paint everything. I want to record my own home. I want to, I want to write about objects. I want to hold things. If I go into a, a new space, I'm always looking at what's on the walls, what's, what's around. I've thought about doing um, Zoom projects where I'm looking at the space around people in there zoom boxes that hasn't happened yet um so that is always there and then much more recently the the human connection has possibly 
taken over or come, come out to the forefront through the swimmers project, mm. which seemed like a completely, at first it seemed completely new and unexpected and not part of my practice. And why am I, why am I suddenly doing portraits of people? I'd avoided people. I did, I did life drawing. I was a life model and I just thought the whole process was pointless. I don't know why I didn't see it. Um, um, it was it was academic to me, not personal. And then here I am painting faces, painting portraits, painting potentially likenesses or having that whole issue about, well, do people expect me to paint portraits of them that look like them? It, it began out of painting my daughter um, when she slept. So going back a bit to at least five years ago, painting painting her so she could get to sleep. So instead of reading her a story or as well as reading her a story, I just paint her, mummy, mummy, you're gonna paint me. Um, <laughs> and, and it worked for a good six months or so. And then I think she just realized, I, annoyingly, I think it was because she knew I, I was posting the paintings on Facebook and she then real, understood what it meant. Um, and she didn't want me to do it anymore, which is completely fine. And, but I wish I hadn't done that really. I wish I hadn't made her make that choice because mm -hmm. her, her photo wasn't on there, but the painting was. Um, so, so obviously there's a personal connection. There's a diary element. So I think that's where I realized that it all comes from my life, from my domestic space from whatever connection, whatever's going on in my life will come into my work. And having been out into the, the you know, the historic houses in for quite a long time, suddenly I was back in the domestic space, but it's still all the same thing. It's just recording what's in front of me, recording my daily routines, recording rituals. And, and so from when she didn't want me to paint her anymore, I started painting myself. And that came after swimming. So again, the swimming was not, it, there was no intention to let's do a project about swimming. It was simply, this is what I do every day. And as I started to swim more and more into the winter, so it was probably at the time when I was first able to, again, with my daughter growing up, she could get to school by herself. I could join the group that swam at eight o'clock every morning and I'd look at myself when I got home there's a mirror at the top of the stairs and I think blimey you know you look different you just come up the stairs and look in the mirror and think wow you look completely different so I started painting myself and I only did it a few times maybe spread over a year through the winter I did it a few times and it didn't become a bigger project until I'd started painting other people so then the two went side by side my currently now I've been painting myself after a daily swim for over two years and um and the the swimmers the other swimmers that I painted I did as a again just a natural spin-off from me painting myself I, I think especially in the winter I get a bit blue and I remember asking one of the swimmers to come back for a cup of tea and oh why don't I paint you that was it I'd I'd missed a birthday of his why don't I paint you and give you a painting and as we sat and had a cup of tea in my kitchen I thought wow this is brilliant this is turning my my own personal private practice into a chance to interact into something I'd never expected to be doing, painting portraits. So he was the first one, Phil, and I've since painted him about four times. Um, and that was in my kitchen. Then I thought, this is brilliant. I'll invite some more people. I got microphones and started videoing. Thought, this is a great project. And people would come back about 20, did about 20 people 
he'd come back to my studio. Um, it was upstairs at the time, so it was warm enough. We'd have a cup of tea and I'd paint them and have a conversation and video it. So again, recording, recording, recording. And then just as I was thinking, what a brilliant project this will make, COVID came, couldn't meet, couldn't even meet outside, couldn't, certainly couldn't meet inside. So, but at, also at the same time, everybody started outdoor swimming. It was like ballooning and phenomenal. So I just thought I've got to do this. I have to do it, I have to find a way. So I spent whatever time of lockdown pondering and then thinking and then eventually writing a, a, a funding application, which meant by spring of 2021. So having started in the winter of 1920, not 1920, <laughs> 2019, 2020. Um, yeah, 100 years ago. It was, <laughs> um, so I, I did, yeah, 2021, I got the application in and got the funding to start in February, March 2021. And I'd really wanted it to be a winter project. And thankfully that spring, it was bloody cold all the way through. I think my first portrait was at the end of February. It was really cold through March and April. So I got a lot, a bulk of the people. I did three or four or five people a week. And it was just amazing. And it was about, I thought, I thought how odd that, somebody who in some way I, I, I'm late for everything. I don't like diary appointments. I find it difficult to manage and I don't paint portraits. And in my head, I'm not very sociable, but actually the fact is that's my job. I teach and I communicate and, um, and I can keep a, diary and I can keep appointments if it's work so it was really fascinating I turned it into work this is serious I'm being paid because I've got got the funding and um yeah it was extraordinary to turn it into something and it became bigger and bigger and bigger because I would record the conversations with people and so and again it's anthropology I'm doing a study of people and why they swim and who they are and how we're connected and how we're different so it was yeah really really fascinating and I did that through most of 2021 and now I'm back to just painting myself and I have all of this data and documentation from the immersed project that was me talking to other people and swimming with them um, that I have all this data and documentation that I think there's there's still more in there or there's more project that I could do choosing particular people or places to swim. I could travel and meet people through that project. So there was it. It's bigger than I imagined. And there was something I was going to say about that, that. Um, I can't remember. Ah, yes, because of because of COVID, we couldn't meet indoors, which meant that we had to meet on the beach. And I thought, this isn't going to work. This is not going to work. It's going to be too cold. But actually, that made the whole project. So we would swim together, dress, sit together. I would paint and, and we'd be recorded, filmed in audio. And, and I would paint. And the whole thing about a lot a lot of what I'm recognizing in my work, going back to timekeeping and scheduling, is that I really enjoy the, um, the urgency of painting under pressure. So left to my own devices, my head can get in the way and think, what's the point of all of this? But if you're sitting on the beach, freezing cold, somebody has offered their time and spirit to join you in this project and you're sitting there being feeling sorry for yourself as an artist it's not it's not good so I had to be really 
I mean, I would share those insecurities as well, um, but I also had to be really just committed. You know, I never, I never stopped, I never threw any away, I never gave up. Some of them were really quick. And about halfway through the project, I realized it was better for me also to do one where I was seriously studying their face and even and being quite self-critical and worrying about well, what will they think. And then I'd put that one down and I'd get another piece of paper and do a really quick one, which was always for me better. And the other thing I learned was I didn't show them the painting. So at the end of the portrait, they would hold their painting in front of them like this, but um, face out so that I was photographing them holding their portrait, but they didn't get to see it. And the, that again was really, really vital. So there was a lot about the process of creativity, but process of vulnerability. Both of us sharing, people shared so many stories in that situation. And um, you can see actually, by the way, I'm going on about it. It was a really, really important, really important project. And I, I would say since then, I kind of don't know how to follow it up. I don't know how to follow up the magic of that or something equally good. So at the moment, I'm in kind of limbo land just with my own plodding daily accumulation of daily portraits. It's not quite as exciting. I don't have that um, conversation with with myself in the mirror. <laughs> I was wondering because it, it's a it's such an interesting process because that grew out of something that was sort of organically your own. Yeah. So you were doing portraits of yourself, and then it, it yeah. just grew out of that. It wasn't as if you sat around thinking, "How can I?" Yeah. Do yeah. This? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that is probably the the, the only or best way that my work comes which is great when you're flowing because the organic flow you know things just connect and grow um but I'm not so good at thinking okay well I did that so now you know I'll apply for funding and do this or oh, I'll take the same project and take it to another city or you know seaside town which is perfectly feasible but I don't really want to do it like that so once I've done it, I'm waiting for the next organic thing to grow out of it um, with, with all sorts of other interruptions and distractions that, that make it harder for that to flourish, I would say. Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's brilliant when it works and things grow organically. But I find this whole journey that you've spoken about, I mean, there's so much really juicy good stuff mm, mm. um starting with you not you know going to art school and, and feeling that real disconnect between yeah. what you were doing and something deeper maybe more meaningful and then doing the anthropology yeah and even for me you just saying that has really set off so yeah. many like light bulbs and things are firing in my brain because yeah I think it's something that I struggle with you know when I'm making artwork, I often am questioning, why am I doing this? Yeah. There has to be something more than me just painting an animal or just, so, yeah. so this connection that you've made for me, like I'm gonna go away from this and start to explore a little bit more about some depth and, and, and I love anthropology as well. So like even yeah. looking at that and, or looking at other ways to find that that are outside of the artistic yes. yeah. system, I suppose, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So really fascinating. And then so and then you also spoke about so that you're doing the anthropology, then you moved into sort of doing going back to the still life, which I loved yeah. that you because a lot of times in art school people say stuff and it really gets under your skin. Yeah. And yeah. then it sort of is like a canker sore and it's there yeah. and it's festering. And then you go and you think, no, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do it to death you know I'm just yeah. gonna do it and do it and do it and finding meaning in that and how all of the things that you're doing are sort of tying back to this looking at things anthropologically and mm. looking at you know what it is and where it comes from and who and the stories yeah. that are behind it yeah. um, and then moving into as well I love that you spoke about you said I'm not a sociable person but I am through my art. And I think this is also something that I've been finding. 
this idea of, you know, like if I have to go to a party, that absolutely is a horrible idea. Don't love socializing like that. But I love speaking to artists and I love speaking to artists in the artwork. And yeah. I love speaking to people who don't have anything to do with art, but see my yeah. artwork. And then that that also yeah. opens up a lot of dialogue. Yeah. So so I think you as well, what you were speaking about, about yourself becoming more sociable, but within a sort of art. Um, yes. Yeah. Through your art, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's through through uh, a real connection. You know, if you, I don't know whether it's even necessarily has to be art, mm -hmm. you know, art, um, but through the yeah, like I was saying, through the, through the historic houses, it was the people who really got my work who were the connection, rather than it just being sort of decoration. Um, and the set, because I meet lots of people in my art teaching who I would say I don't have that connection with because they want something that I'm mm. not willing to offer them or that I don't have to offer them. Um, so it's more, I, I think it's, it's, it's whoever it is when you connect on a on a deeper level um, and it can be so through the swimming I met lots of swimmers and with through that sitting down I think it just gave us each uh, a almost sacred space it's a bit like confessional mm. you know it's like, or, or therapy you know here I am here we are just together it's just us nobody else is listening I am recording it but it's just us and 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 we will share you know it's like you'd asking me questions now and as you can tell i i really like talking about you know i i, I like the um yeah i like all the connections um through my own work that only come out when i'm talking and then you say something and i i'll be like oh yeah and i say something and you're like oh yeah so when you have those kind of conversations i don't think it has to be art but it has to be something on a on a deeper level that's meaningful rather than party talk or mm. what do you do and I even hate the question as an artist you know so oh so what do you do and I just at the moment I'm current I just currently say oh, I'm not doing anything and uh and to some extent that's true but then I realize it's not true but it's also not um I've got an exhibition or I'm mm. working on a series of you know I work in oils I do um liner cuts or whatever it's it, it doesn't matter what I do um and I hate that question but but it is something that I find fascinating about your work because I have followed you for a lot of years both on Instagram and just in life um yeah that that, <laughs> that you just do what you're doing and I kind of like that I think that's really yeah. important I think it's important because I think we often feel like we have to have a pro you know maybe this is how society makes us feel we have to have a project we have to have an end goal we need to know where we're going but it's okay and I think it's really crucial as an artist to be able to say actually right now I don't know where I'm going yeah. I don't know what I'm doing yeah and anything that comes my way is good you know yeah. it keeps you quite open to possible to possibilities yeah 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 absolutely and that's it but it can also be quite, um, it's quite precarious and quite scary. Mm -hmm. So it's great when that, when that organic thing grows and you think, oh, this is easy because all I was doing was portraits of my daughter, then it was portraits of me and then it was portrait of Phil and now it's a big project that I've been funded for. And then it's an exhibition on Worthing Seafront and all of that happened. I can look back retrospectively and I know it, it wasn't smooth sailing all the way through and I know there were times when I couldn't cope or couldn't, didn't know what was coming next. But I look back and think, yeah, that was a really solid project. Being in the space in between projects, when you haven't got that schedule and timetable, being self-employed, um, I teach for my money. So I have to figure that out. I'm a single parent. And it's like, it's like there's a lot of stuff going on that you, you, you have to, there isn't, sometimes there just isn't space for that organic growth to happen. And, and I just have to trust. That's the main thing is trust and make space. Stop 
this is very pertinent at the moment because I've just realized I had was trying to cut down teaching COVID helped um, cut down teaching and then I've not even put that much back in teaching wise so what have I filled my time with what what am I still doing that is stopping me having days in my studio and I look at my diary and I think oh that's because I've added added something there on a weekly basis, added something there on a weekly basis, added something there. So I do a lot of, it's almost like sort of, um, you know, things like therapy, I put that in my diary, which is great, but that will take up a day because <laughs> wherever it is in the day, you kind of think, oh, well, I've got therapy coming up or I've got this. I do a lot of, I do my online teaching. I do dance online. Um, and I've just looked at my diary and I thought, all I've done is I've replaced my overdose of teaching, overload of teaching with, with stuff that I thought was good for me. And, and I really need to start taking some load off of myself because right now I haven't got that space for that next organic thing, which as you say, when it, it, I do, I, I like to, I think what it, what am I getting to? I'm, if my art practice has to come out of where I'm at, then what I'm thinking is, could I make anything come out of this predicament I find myself in? Could I make something that is about time and time management? Could I make something that is about um, the washing up? You know, can, can I make something that's about my negative thinking? What can I, but I, it has to grow out of it rather than me sitting there thinking what's my next project but there's definitely something around okay so if my work is about my wherever I am and if this if I've pushed myself into a corner where I feel stuck then what might be that trigger to get out of that corner and like you say anthropology you know you suddenly think of a different thing. I mean, currently my my practice is probably being my my personal routines and practice is being dominated by meditation, which is brilliant, and it's changing how I'm teaching certainly, and and in theory, it's I want to use it to get into my studio so that I meditate and and feel into that space, but I don't make time for it. So it's like the one, the key I think is there. I've even got it in my hand. So I think I'm trying a bit too hard to do that. And there's probably going to be something like uh, ski jumping or, uh, you know, something completely unexpected. I'm not going to do ski jumping, but it will probably be something completely unexpected. That's not the earnest, good, hardworking, meditating artist. And it's going to be something else that I stumble across under the bed or whatever. It's going to be about my tidying up. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I also love because I think you started the meditation stuff last year or at least yeah. online you did. I think January, it was last year yeah. around January, right? Yeah. Yeah. And how did that start? I mean, did that grow out of, because I feel like at the time you were saying, I feel like you had said something about like you'd, maybe lost your way with being in the studio regularly yeah. perhaps and yeah. that this was an idea to get you back in the yeah. studio get you in that space that yeah. you need to be in mentally can yeah. you talk a little bit about that maybe I can talk about that but um you might be uh maybe not surprised but you might be disappointed to find that it didn't work for me <laughs> it worked for the first couple of sessions and I thought this is brilliant but what I've done is I've created a job. So it, I stick, and I'm sticking with it because I find it really fascinating and really valuable and it is affecting my practice. So basically the idea was I have an hour where I lead a meditation through into drawing and we're all sitting in our studio spaces in the morning and we all stay there if we can in our studio spaces with a commitment and a, and a kind of sense of like, yeah, we're all in this together. And um, for the first few sessions, I thought, yeah, this is great. 
but then I realized I had to, I've got a register. I started taking money. So that meant I had to tick off the money. I also really like, I do like it. And I like writing down what I've done. So it is a recording process. And I write down everything afterwards straight away, which then I want to share being a teacher in me. I want to share that. So then I have to email people. I've got the recording, which I have to download, trim it and send a link out. I look up poetry and I research things. So the researching bit and the writing, what I've done, I really like. It's kind of enriching and I feel like I've got a catalogue now. I've got a year's worth of one hour meditations with a synopsis or a written description of what we did and poems and references and artists. So I feel like it's a really good job. And actually what now I've moved, I was trying a Saturday course for those who couldn't come in the morning. I've moved them both to Tuesday. So I bookend my Tuesdays with these two meditation hours. And I've just got an assistant who's going to help me doing the, the paperwork. The um, so all I have to do is run the session and write up my notes. And I like that bit. So I'm hoping come January that my Tuesdays will be back or Tuesdays can stay as a teaching day. And, and, the, and I need to make another day space. I need to free up space so and I need to I think I need it to be routine and um so I'm hoping that that I I I do feel still even though it didn't work entirely I just created a job for myself to do but I still feel that that it's so important what I'm doing there and the feedback I get from it and it's touching on a lot of my own you know, basically, I think what I'm giving is my own experience. So therefore, it, it touches people. And, and I love picking themes. And I love the fact that it's just for the day. It's just for that hour. This is all we're doing. So we've been drawing a candle. Last week, we drew a candle flame. Nobody looks at each other's work. Nobody shows their work. Nobody's asking me what materials to use. Nobody's talking. We're all in this space together, but we're quiet. And I find it a, a just a fascinating way of teaching that all, where you're not teaching, you're facilitating, you're providing mm -hmm. the space, you're, you're just, it, it, the, it's sort of trust and this is enough and no preconceptions, no expectations. And wouldn't that be great to have that in your practice by yourself and that's what I'm kind of I think that's why I'm in limbo because it's like well if that's if that's it if it's as simple as that um what do you so let's say I was in my studio drawing drawing a candle I don't know, it, it's like, well, then, then what? There's always that question, then what? Which in a teaching situation would always be there with students. And I think it's always there in my work. So there's something about, about kind of, could your work be doing nothing? Could being an artist be doing nothing? And I know that seems utterly ridiculous, but but I don't think it is. I mean, I wrote, it, I, I was writing to myself, but I was basically yeah. writing under something that I call the art of doing nothing. Yeah. Uh -huh. Which is a concept that I have because I yeah. think, you know, I, I think that you have to do nothing. Yeah. A lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And something comes out of that. But, but yeah. when I'm doing it and in the middle of it, I can't explain what it is. Yeah. It's very vague, very abstract. It is a yeah. lot of nothing yeah. that becomes something. Yeah, yeah. And it's not the thought process, because it just made me think of um, Marina Abramovich. Mm. And she sits and does nothing, but it's a power, very powerful. It's not nothing at all. So she'll sit with people in those three minutes of silence. Mm. silence. Um, and that is, you know, her practice is a incredible. 
um, strength in that apparent nothingness. So it's stripping back the expectations of what art is and um, that and it's quite hard to do that I find on my own as you yeah on your own so I think what I've done is I've I've created the intention of doing nothing but I can't quite cope with it so I filled it with other things um, research investigation therapy all this kind of stuff and actually doing nothing in my studio could just it I think my studio it still fills me with expectation mm. um, so I have been yearning recently and in fact I bought a sheepskin rug which my daughter didn't like the smell of so I put it in my studio and my studio is one of the places where I do lie down a lot and do nothing. And so I'm thinking that that's where I need to go back to is just take my rug and snuggle up and do nothing. And whether I can do nothing without even reading a book, without even writing, without even drawing, um, that it is quite scary. <laughs> It's quite scary. Um, yeah, so, yeah, perhaps there could be a a project. You, you know, maybe you, you could, um, like we could, we could, you know, commit to, let's go to our studios and do nothing. You know, do, do, we, do, you, do artists need support? Some, I've been thinking about the support, the communication and the audience. And whether the audience can be me is that enough of an audience mm -hmm. so if i filmed myself doing nothing would i feel more valid than if i was just doing nothing <laughs> yeah and it is an interesting question because i say napping is a really important part of my yeah. practice yes hugely yeah. important there is a point where i love to especially once my brain's become overloaded, I love to just lie down and yeah. just close my eyes. And then yeah. all this stuff is going on, but yeah. it's, I don't have to do anything with it. It's just there. Yeah. And yeah. I find it really beautiful. I'm the only person who's experiencing this yeah. to everyone else. It looks like, why are you sleeping yeah. on your sofa in your studio? Yeah. Like what's yeah. going on? But it's a huge, it's such an important part of my practice. <laughs> but it's, you're right. Amazing. You I've, know, I've not found that in, um, yeah. Lying but down. I think, but I think it goes back to, but, but I also think, oh, you know, procrastinating, it might be being yeah. lazy, um, you know, as a single parent, as somebody who's yeah. themselves, I'm, yeah. I'm constantly thinking, well, I'm, I'm not earning any money from napping, but I yeah. am recognizing that it's an important part of my process. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't, I'm never like apologetic for it. I'm like, yeah. guys, yeah. This, I need to, this ha has to happen. This is how I am. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is that interesting, like you say, once you start to, if you film it, then that almost changes it as well. Yeah. There's yeah. no longer nothing in some ways because you're yeah. recording it. So yeah, yeah. And what I've realized in, in, you know, just by talking about it and in my current state of mind, I don't know, Christmas, winter, mm. short days, etc., that I actually, I do more napping when I am more productive or, or I'm, when I'm more engaged with my practice. It's not even productive. When I'm more engaged with my practice, I get that overwhelming urge to nap and I'll be in my studio and I feel absolutely fine. It's the one place where I do nothing. Whereas in my house, I can't do nothing. I might sit down and watch telly with my daughter, but I, it's not very often. And I might go to bed early, but that again, that's not very often. The only place I really relax is in the bath in, in my house. So, so it's almost like my my creative practice, my studio practice, is telling me to you know come in, lie down, and do nothing because you're safe in here. And there, I don't know whether it's old habits or I just have I'm avoiding all of that by making myself feel busy. Mm. And I, I do think it's there's a sort of lurking 
memory of times when I was depressed or times when you know when I had to fill my space I had to make myself do something because doing nothing was unbearable so I think it, it, it's it's a fine line it's like the 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 joy of doing nothing is sometimes lost mm. because I don't give it space and it is my art practice that will give it space and I'm not giving that I'm not getting into that so it's all it's all part and parcel and it, this is such good timing because I've just been in a real sort of like ah. um yeah and just thinking what am I doing and, I, and the conclusion is is just start dropping things start putting things down and do more nothing yeah, yeah. and I love as well you speaking about the what you're doing in your studio versus what you do at home as well because I think creatives you're never not creative or you know yeah. it's not as if you can turn that part of yourself off yeah and I often think about um, how people use their studio space and I love how you're speaking about your studio space is this very safe place for you yeah. Yeah. and I'm finding that really interesting because I think um, before I got a studio space I was a little bit worried that it might be sterile or you know like you just go in and what do you oh gosh it suddenly feels like yeah. a lot of pressure I'm in here I've got a studio yeah. space I need to be making stuff I need to make it worthwhile um, <laughs> But how my relationship with my studio space has changed as well has been really interesting over like the, I've only had one for a year, but, yeah. but watching that relationship with the space yeah. change. Yeah. yeah. And hearing you speak about your space is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really important. I haven't had a shared space or like a communal, a place mm -hmm. where you go for years now. Um, and sometimes I do think that, you know, when it's when it's in your garden, it's too close to home. And I don't have to go there. But yeah. That yeah, studio spaces, that's a massive subject, isn't it? Because where is it? Is it big enough? It's never big enough. How often do you use it? I'm never in there enough, you know. <laughs> Maybe that'll be like my next season. I'll interview people about their studio spaces oh and my God, how they're using brilliant. them because yeah. I do think it's a huge topic. And for me, you know, and even for people who maybe are doing art from home at the moment and are considering getting a studio space, it's yeah. a great exploration yeah. for them as well. Yeah, yeah, and and just which which space you've got at home, and do you have a permanent space at home? Mm. Do you have to get clear the kitchen table and get your stuff out? You know, yeah, I think yeah. there's a book called Artists in Their Studio. Oh, yes. Yeah. When it photographs them. And, and they're really, really brilliant questions like, um, how do you, where do you keep your paints and brushes? And there's people saying, oh, well, I had this specially made and they've got this table on wheels with a drawer <laughs> under there and brushes there. And it's the questions that artists want to know. Yeah, it's like, what, what's your system? What's or then it's like, yeah, so you, so you see, oh, I had this custom made, or then it's stuff like, oh, I use these great pickle jars because yes. they have really wide necks. Like for yes. me, it's all about the peanut butter jars and the pickle yes. jars, and I go yes. to stores buying food with yes. that in mind a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it yeah. would be brilliant, yeah. So we're we're at the end of our, our time, so that's really okay. wonderful. Thank you yeah. so much for interviewing with me today. Before we go, I know you do a few courses. You do the meditation online. Yeah. You're going to continue that. Yeah. Um, and what other teaching are you doing at the moment? Um, I teach a lot with Emily Ball at Sea Whites. And currently I've just done, had amazing two days doing embodied drawing, getting people to work in kind of four foot, no, four meters on the floor, four meters up the wall of space. So um a really huge space for drawing that was amazing and a follow-on from there is going back to my original start of this conversation how a still life is always connected with the space of the room so I'm inventing a course called making room for drawing where people are going to be given a, a wooden structure a space upon which they can attach paper board card canvas stretch onto the wall put objects inside light it draw it perform it be in it film it dismantle it um that's coming up in february making room for drawing and sea whites is a great studio because it's massive and 
and you can do huge projects. So I'm also doing one where we're going to visit Chichester Cathedral drawing and then come back and make as big as we can drawings about the cathedral space. That's in March. Do figure painting, painting the figure with fabrics there as well. And a couple in Brighton at the Atelier. Okay. Atelier by the Sea. I think that's going to be later in the year, sketchbooking and meditation and mark making, one day workshops. Can't remember the third one. Oh, large gestural drawing. I love working big. I love, I love that. I, I love seeing that about your work because my one of my things this year was to go bigger and I've been looking at your work and how you just love your big anyway. So it's yeah. really nice to yeah. see that. And yeah. it gives me courage to be, ah, oh, yes, I can go much bigger than I've ever thought. Yes. Yeah. And I'm currently thinking maybe the way around my current inertia is that I take a, a leaf out of the, the embodied drawing and just cover my studio with paper, canvas, whatever, mm. cardboard, and just, instead of it being a thing, I just go in there and I draw on the walls. Or maybe I just draw on the walls without covering it. But, you know, I think I just need to, yeah. to turn it into an environment and not uh, a thing. And not for any purpose, just a record of every day I go in there and this is what happens. Yeah. yeah. And it becomes a record of just you doing that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I think I've used that process before, but not for a long time. So mm. it's nice. I think if you've, it's something you've done before and you haven't visited in a while and then you come yeah. back to it, it's always nice to see, well, where, where is it now when I, yeah. when I revisit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I'll do is I'll include links to all of these things down in the, yeah. uh, below yeah. the podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll include those. Um, okay. I'm really interested in the February one personally. I yes. might, I might attend yeah, yeah. them. Yeah. I'm like trying to budget for it at the moment because yeah. it looks amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's, so, also, there's also going to be drawing meditation and walking in the summer. That's going to be a residential grounds oh. with Emily co-teaching with her. And the other place you could mention is Westine College. Westine. Okay. Yeah. Because I do various things there. I can't remember what's coming up next. I don't do much so much there. Is there a one place on your website where you have your courses listed or... Not. Well, interestingly, in COVID, I thought, that's it, I'm not teaching anymore. So I took out, I, I did a new website and made it all about my work. And so now you have to go to the about page and there's a sort of stuck on PDF, which has got some dates, but it's all out of date now. Yeah. yeah. Basically, I mean, the, the drawing and meditation should be on there. The links for that are on there. And you might find the old links to Westine, Emily Ball, and Atelier by the Sea, and occasionally Hampshire Art Studios. So yeah, there's there'll be there'll be stuff from the old stuff, and one-off workshops I haven't yet re re recovered, um, but I might be doing some more of those myself. Okay. Nothing planned yet. Yeah. All right. Well, it sounds really yeah. fascinating. I want to thank you so much. Oh, pleasure. For yeah. Interviewing today. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Studio Notes with me, Sasha DeWitt, and guest Katie Solahub. I love the way that she makes connections and allows for organic growth in her practice. To find out more about her work and her courses, you can click the links below. If you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps others to find us. And of course, thank you so much for listening to Studio Notes with me, Sasha DeWitt. Big shout out to the Arts Council who have given funding for this podcast as part of my DYCP grant. So thank you.